Um, so yes, so for the last part of the event, we'll, we'll open up for um, questions. Just to get the ball rolling, shall I ask Please do. a couple of little things? Um, given the emphasis on uh, the collaborative work with the audience, I was interested in what you said earlier on about not everyone likes it, not everyone goes for it. And I just thought it would be interesting if you talk a little bit more about how the reception of the work influences the work. In terms of yeah, people okay, writing good. about it, people engaging with it, does that change things for you? Yeah, it does. It informs it. It informs it. It doesn't always, it, you know, it's, it's difficult because, of course, if somebody walks out of your play, walks out of something that you're doing, that's difficult because you go, please, you know, stay with me, stay with me. But also, I, I, I also respect that, in a sense, because maybe I'm just exploring something that somebody doesn't want to engage with or be with, and that's also okay on one level. So yeah, it informs it. Whether it informs it in terms of wanting to change it in order to be more generous or more... Mm. No, not mm. at all, because it's kind of like, well, it's doing the work in a way. It's mm. doing the work that you want it to do, which might be provoking and it might be thought might stimulate thought or it might stimulate action. That's an idea, you know, that's an idea that maybe now there is an opportunity for us to leave this room that we've been thinking together in called the theatre and go and do something. The idea is that we might walk out and do something or we might think about what we might do. So, you know, maybe that person's just reached that point before by going, actually, I'm just going to go. I'm just going to go. How it then informs it when people write critically or theoretically around the work, <coughs> yeah, it really informs it. And it informs it in the sense of how you continue to, to write and make it if, if that academic criticism is being put into play, which is always delightful from my point of view to read people writing about our work and talking about our work both in a critical and theoretical way and also questioning what might be there, and also seeing something in it that I might not have seen or know was there. You know, the idea that I know or we know everything that's in it is, is not true in a sense. It's what's in the audience, that, that what they bring to it is, is the important thing. And then sometimes that criticism is very positive, which of course is brilliant, and sometimes it's very negative, which of course is difficult, but at the same time, I hope that we are playful about that. When we did an oak tree at the Soho Theatre in 2007, there was a critic from the Times who gave it five stars. Amazing review. And the next day, I walked down to the theatre and there was a poster outside the Soho Theatre that was like, five stars, Tim Crouch's an oak tree. Two days later, the, the Independent on Sunday gave it one star. And we then went, entered into a campaign with the press office of Soho Theatre to, to, to print an AO sized poster of that review and put it next to the one from the Times. And they were like, no, no way, no, we only do the five star ones. And of course, we were in a lucky position to go, we've got a five star review, that's great news for ticket sales. But at the same time, wouldn't it be interesting if you just put next to it somebody going, actually, I thought that was absolute shit. <laughs> you know? Uh, and then an audience member, if that was me walking past, I'd go, I'll go and see what it's like then. <laughs> because they love it and they hate it. We did publish on the flyer to what happens to the hope at the end of the evening. 
a, a, a quote from the Evening Standard, which was, uh, less profound than anybody involved believes it is. <laughs> uh, yeah, and so it was like, great, just say that then. You know, let people know that the, the Evening Standard have said that. And of course, we can only do that because Dan Rebellato or whoever has luckily for us written nice things about it too but mm. but I always think it's it's we try we are trying to or I am trying to we are trying to stir up something in an audience to go come on then let us know what you think mm. and some people do like it and some people don't like it and there was a big thing last week when I previewed summit in the Brighton festival <coughs> where there was a discussion on the second night where lots of people were talking about, oh, the people who didn't like it, the people who didn't like it. And I was like, well, that's okay. That's really okay. I'm not going to modulate or change my thinking in order to try and appease everyone. Mm. Does that answer your question? Absolutely. Um, I'll just ask one more thing, and then if we can open it out, it'd be brilliant if you guys have had questions. So one of the big themes of the evening has been the audience. And I think the other has been the actor. So, can you talk a little bit more, you've touched on this, but can you talk a little bit more about what the experience has been like with the solo work, inverted commas, yeah. from uh, performing your own work to working with actors? Yeah. And actually, with, with the Tim Crouch collaborative stuff as well, how do you work with actors? Yeah, okay. So, <coughs> as a solo maker, like I, like I implied, I think about everybody being the first audience to beginning with me, so that slowly it grows outwards. <coughs> As a director to Tim's work, I often describe myself as being a daily audience member. So I turn up, and of course I have a knowledge of how the play has been made, and, and how it's been written, and what's been written, and the drafts that it's been through, and it's usually gone through a very rigorous process. I think there was about four years between the initial seed of the idea of Adler and Gibbon it reaching the stage at the Royal Court. It was a long time that we were talking about that work <coughs> and trying things out. But I often refer to the role of the director to be a daily audience member as much as that's possible. So mm. to turn up and to go, I'm seeing this, this is what I'm seeing today. And also, interestingly, I have never directed Tim's plays alone. I've always worked with a man called Carl James, who, is, who comes from a tradition, much more theatrical tradition than me. He, is a, he was a professional actor. He trained at Crystal Old Vic Theatre School, which means he is a professional actor. Uh, and so the idea, I think, at the beginning was that we would bring very different things to the table, because I had come from a much more, shall we say, experimental performance-related background, and that Carl came from a theatre-related background, and so our eyes were very different on what was going on. But, but over the years, I think we've been, we've become very similar in our outlooks, and interestingly, sometimes my view has been much more, what we might say, theatrical in relation to what we're doing. But the key thing is for me, is that more than two pairs, more than one pair of eyes are on it. So we are not able to become visionary directors. I always talk about our work as being non-visionary directed. You know what they talk about, the vision, James McDonald, for example, the roll call, works a lot the roll call. Visionary director, James McDonald brings this to the latest play by Carol Churchill. It's like, great, that's great, that's one way to do things. But by being two of us, we're not allowed 
to just indulge our own one view. And that feels really key to me, because if you're going to open it out and invite it to a load of other people to see it and think about it, the audience, then it's interesting to know that more than one perspective has been taking place when viewing it. When we were in Oslo doing England in an art gallery in England, on the bus home, somebody said to me, who'd seen the show that night, what did you do then? And I went, I directed it. I co-directed it. And he went, oh, I didn't realise it had any directors. <laughs> and of course, my, I went, well, no. My ego was just crushed in a moment. In a moment, I just went, oh. But then I just turned it around, of course, in my head, as you do. And I went, actually, he's paid me a great compliment. Because if he never thought about it, if he didn't watch it going, why did they direct it like that once? during the hour and whatever of that show, then, then something has been achieved, in my opinion. Yeah, I hope that answers your question. Absolutely. Yes. So, yeah, I'm, I'm just thinking about how scared and shy and inert I am when I'm an audience member. It's actually quite scary even to ask you something. And I'm a professional performer. Right. And I'm wondering um, if you think that as an audience we've got some kind of responsibility yeah, I do think the audience has got a great responsibility, both in, in, in participating in and making the show. So imagining that I'm in Denmark, going slightly mad because my father is dead, you know, that's, that's a job in a way. You are active in that. Uh, <clears throat> so there is some responsibility in relation to the making, and I think this work tries to strip some of this stuff away on here in order to make more space for you there. I hope that's what it does. Uh, and so there is a responsibility, a shared responsibility, and the plays certainly explore that. The author is all about that, about how we are responsible for what we see and what we do or do not do. How we act, in fact, ethically and morally, how we act. So to, to explore that in a theatre feels absolutely right, because theatres are places about acting and how we act. So yes, there's a responsibility, but I also hope that there is not an invitation. There has also been a fashion in theatre, certainly in the last 20 years, even longer before that, since the 60s, around this idea of how the audience should participate or be with the theatre. And it's kind of culminated in, in a strand of theatre at the moment, which is, you know, immersive work. So go and see a punch drunk show, go in, find the story, do your work, you know what I mean? Walk around the warehouse, find the story, see what's going on, be the person who activates it, and that's great. I think our work operates on a very similar principle without ever asking the audience to do anything other than sit in their seats. Because that, for me, is a, a participative act. You have come here this evening. I have come here this evening. I have talked. You have listened. We have, I hope, in some way, thought together about some stuff related to theatre related to my view of theatre and perhaps to yours. So there is, there is a great act of participation taking place. So I never want the audience to feel they have to do stuff. Actually, I respect and want them to sit and listen to the end of the story because that, when, when they bought their ticket, I think that's my, that might be what they want to do. Do you know what I mean? Rather than, no, come on everyone, get up, let's do it and do this and do this. No, just actually, I respect that this is a really 
active, potentially active setup. There's been a lot of discussion around passivity, the passive audience. The audience just sit there, they don't do anything. They don't do anything, they just sit there, they buy the ticket, they have a drink, they sit there, they don't do anything. I'm like, no, they've really done something. They've come out to the theatre to see what they're up to. That's pretty active. I think that's pretty active. So it's just about your perspective and how you choose to see it. And I, and I respect and hope people are able to just sit and be. Because that's great. Hope that answers your question. Okay, I'll try to articulate this as uh, clearly as I can. So I'm really interested in the relationship between principles, language, and now. So with which I mean the principles that you said, removal, reduction, restriction. Yeah. Um, in terms of language, I'm really interested in the simple language that you use with lots of repetitions. Yeah. Um, and I'm calling it simple, but I don't mean simple. Simple is great, you could call yeah, it simple. Simple language, and I, I see, and this might be incorrect, but language as a part of the concept in the conceptual art or the container of the concept, I get confused between these things, I don't know. And the idea of dematerialized theatre in an intensely materialistic world. Yeah. So I just wanna, I'm just trying to understand how these three things actually have conversation uh, with each other. Good. The work. <coughs> I speak to today and to yes. So the word is a conceptual object, potentially. It's an art object, you know what I mean? You can put that, you know, Tim has talked about that and written about that. There is, the, the word is a thing, a material. When I, when I taught writing workshops, I always quote a poem by, by an old tutor of mine called P.T. Yeager, which I think describes the act of writing brilliantly. And it's, I'm going to paraphrase it, but I'll tell you. It's like Theresa May's education of learning 15 poems. That's what she's been talking about recently, hasn't it? Jeremy Corbyn said, that's, never, that's going to put everybody off education for life. Anyway, I remember this poem. The poem goes like this, and it describes to me the act of writing. I do not know which nail to bang, I do not know how hard, but still I'll keep on banging nails and bend them into shapes unskilled and bang them till they're banged. Yeah. And so there's this thing of just going, moving these words around and going, it's not saying the thing that I wanted to say and now it's the deadline and now I've got to give it one. Well now the audience is coming so I've got to say it, you know what I mean? That's, that feels to me very accurate description of the idea of creative writing, of having to endlessly bang nails until they just can't be bound in anymore. So the word is a very physical and material object for me, in a way. I think that comes from my MA in performance writing where I tried to get away from theatre and I talk to a lot of people about the concept of the word and that still runs in and underneath what I'm doing. Uh, Taking away the stuff, reduction and removal, is really important because, as I've said already, it makes space. It makes space for you. It clears the noise that might be going on here, or even, in a way, the importance of what might be going on here, in order to try and achieve a parity between us. Which doesn't mean that you have to talk. It means that you can listen. And it's as important that you do that as it is that I talk. Because, like I said at the start, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be here. What was the other part, the last part of your question? Um, so how do, say, how, how do kind of do the, um, the removal reduction restriction in relation to language speaks to um, 
a world that tries to do that 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 does less with more. Yeah. If that makes sense. So, yeah. yeah, I don't know. So I'm, I am wrestling with I am wrestling with that, <laughs> and I don't have fully formed thoughts on it. There is something that is connected to. Marxism and ideas of materiality, definitely, but I haven't read enough of the capital yet to understand what exactly that might be. I'm trying, I'm trying, <laughs> right? But also there is something connected to, for me, the idea of what we might use a space like the theatre for now. So we live in the society of the spectacle, said Guy Debord, you know, and the, the world is just full of everything and it's all out there and... You know, it's mental, isn't it? London is mental or whatever, you know, it's all mental. But then I, uh, I then go, well, what should we use the theatre for then? Why should, what, what we, the place that we used to talk about is the place of spectacle. What do we use the theatre for now? And I think the answer, or one of the answers, not the answer, because I don't want it to be an absolutist and finite thing, but one of the things that we can do is just get together and not have so much spectacle. It's an interesting place for that, for me. Yeah. Hi. Um, Hi. I, I perform a one-man version of The Tempest. And uh, two years ago, I was performing it in Brighton, uh, in my front room, the whole series of performances. And because I perform it naked, we decided that when the audience came in, I would be there, naked, just and just chatted to them. Because people often get a bit funny when a naked man just walks in. Not in Brighton. <laughs> 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 Uh, so I was there chatting um, away about how great it is being a naked actor and the sort of things you do. And um, one woman on one occasion was really quite cross. And she suddenly said, you shouldn't be doing this. And I said, what do you mean? She said, you should be somewhere in, elsewhere in the house getting into character. Right. So I said, well, I'm doing The Tempest and I'm playing all the characters. Which character should I be getting into? Yeah. Um, but my serious point is that despite talking a lot to the audiences I work with, despite performing in all sorts of unusual places, I still see very much what I do as a form of acting, that I'm using a whole number of acting skills. So my question is, do you think there's any clear line between traditional acting and the sort of thing you've been talking about that you as a solo performer do? Yeah, I think there are always just ways to do things. So I think there are ways to do things, there are multiple ways. And so to define or to say there is this way to do things is what happens in training programs all around the place. And I am not critical of those things, that, that's good, you know. People want to learn to train to be an actor, so they go to RADA or they go to the poor school or they go to wherever and they will learn that method of doing things. People will also then go to universities, which is the route that I took, and they will take courses which are maybe more theoretically linked or thought through or not connected to ideas so much of practical training, like fighting, how to do sword fighting or whatever, but to connect it to theoretical ideas of, you know, thinking through why one might be doing it. And I suppose that's my route in a way. I call myself a theatre maker because I do lots of different things. I stand and talk and I direct and I write. And so I am a master of nothing of those things, but I'm also able to, or have enough confidence on one level to just do all of those things. So I do not, I hope I don't dispute by talking in the way that I do, other ways of doing things, because I really want a diverse culture in the way that I want diversity in my life. I'm not a West End hater. 
And students of mine sometimes have said to me, oh yeah, you're the technology, you don't like technology, do you? You hate the technology. And I go, no, I, I like seeing things that use technology. It's just that I elect to not use them. So I think my suggesting is that actually you're quite a good actor. Maybe. I mean that in a negative Maybe. way. Maybe. You know, you've Great. delivered a fantastic performance. Thanks. Thanks. Yes, of course I have. I have performed today. Write to the Irish Times and tell them. <laughs> <laughs> I saw him, he's a brilliant actor. Yeah. I'm interested in questioning those things. And I'm interested in working with people who are interested in coming along with me and going, actually, I'm, I'm going to take away the things that I normally would reach for. And sometimes that's very difficult. And I've worked with actors who find that impossible. And I've also worked with actors who go, oh man, this is great. You're telling me to actually swim against everything that I've kind of been told. One of the things that I'd had when I was making Summit last week and the week before, rehearsing that for the final time, <clears throat> was that I was trying to get the actors to stay open to the possibility. And one of them kept on asking me, what's the intention here? What are you trying to say here? And I, and I, and I would say, I'm trying to balance between this is really difficult and this is really good, this is really optimistic and this is really negative. And I'm trying to stand on that line and let the audience go, I find that optimistic or I find that really negative. But if you close it down, if you just go, Ooh, I'm angry and it's negative, then that just disputes the other side of the coin in a way. So, and, and for me, that's an important thing in acting too. But sometimes it goes the other way and people try to just be one or the other. And that doesn't feel very human to me. Great question. I think we have time for one, one more. more. Right, thanks. Um, I'm interested in your notion of authenticity, and I um, was wondering whether you could say a little bit more about the also mentioned biography and how your personal life, in a way, feeds into your work. So, yeah. isn't there a tension, you think, um, between this kind of authenticity within the fictionalized space of the theatre and the performative, or is that not? And how do you? There really is a tension, there really is a tension, and I, and I think that there is lots of questions for me about when things are presented and promoted as being real. Because, you know, reality is a flexible, movable, difficult concept, isn't it? So when you, when you read a review, I, was at the, I went to meet a friend of mine this afternoon at the Royal Court, we were talking about a review of the ferryman, the player that's on the Royal Court at the moment, that I saw in the Observer that said, and then at one point a real baby comes on stage. <laughs> and I was like, wow, okay, they, didn't, they couldn't just, you know, it was an acting baby, it was acting real. It was a baby that is really a baby, but it's being brought on stage and it's playing. It's not really the biological baby of the actor that's playing the mother, but it's a real baby. The other one that I always used to like was the, the, the poster, there was a poster of the railway children when it was on at St. Pancras Station, <laughs> which said, now with real steam train. <laughs> so it was like this thing that a real steam train appeared in the, in the railway children. And I think that if I'd gone to see the railway children, which I didn't, I would have been sat for a long time just waiting for the train to come, <laughs> rather than thinking about what was happening in the story. So the, the promotion of things as being real, which of course manifests itself most clearly in the practices of verbatim theatre. They really said this. This is what they really said. And I think it's very interesting that recently there has been a move away from an attempt to represent the reality of the Baton Theatre on stage through things like London Road, which is a musical, you know, let's use the mu let's turn that into a musical, which acknowledges the fact that it is 
a representation, even though it's what somebody ostensibly really said, it, it's still dealing with representation because art is about dealing with representation. We always had this thing, Tim and me used to say, oh, Walter Benjamin says all art is a problem of representation. And then we realised actually that he didn't say that at all. He just completely misquoted him. He said something about how philosophical writing must com confront the problem of representation. But it still stands, the idea of representation. Who is Miss Julie? Who is Hamlet? Why is, you know, so authenticity, there's a lot of people trying to reach for an authenticity, like Robert De Niro and his parents. You know, so, so I like to just push against that, I suppose, and go, well, actually, none of it's real or it's real but it's but it's but it's a it's a fictional thing or it's a memory of something. So when you do an autobiographical performance and you talk about something that happened to you when you were 14, you're not talking about the thing that really happened to you, you're talking about the memory of the thing that happened to you. Which is different. Which is different. Yeah, I hope that answers. Good. I think we're out of time. <laughs> Thank you so much, everyone, for coming, and let's give a big round of applause. No.